<laughs> Thank you very much. Here, let's pray and let's go. Okay. Wow, I sound like I'm really screaming at you. Does it sound really loud to you? Uh, move to the left where it doesn't hum. It's good? Wow, okay. Okay, everybody sing with me. I'm going to play. Ready? Man. Uh, all right, well, we'll see what, see what happens. Dear Father in heaven, who's revealed your love to us in Jesus Christ, your Son, grant to us, we pray, your Holy Spirit, that we may love you with our whole heart and our brothers as ourselves, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, here we go. Let's see what happens. Um, have you got a sheet? There should be a new one that says, uh, The Personal Family Burnt Offering. This stuff is so weird when I'm typing it out, I can hardly believe it. Is there anybody who knows how to run that board up there? Is there anybody? Is Jonathan here? No, Erica does. Oh, you're so good. Just a little bit, I think. Fix the lights, catch the bat, run the board. That's right. Everything is working here. We got everything. We got all the right. It's amazing how the Lord provides all the right people every day. Isn't that great? It's all good. All right. Now, where we've been, where we've been is uh, the first week I just tried to convince you that there's still such a thing as holiness. And holiness means, it basically means God's holy and you're not, which is good for him and troublesome for you. And yet, you know, the point of all that is not that God hates you, but God loves you. So the question is, is there a way that uh, you can be uh, round about a holy God and everybody loves Barb? that away. Is there a way that you can come into the presence of a holy God and not be destroyed? I mean, he can't change his holiness, and you can't change your unholiness, so we need some change somewhere. And the Lord says, well, you know, I'd be happy to take care of that. Now, we live in a time, we live in a world that really doesn't recognize holiness as an objective fact. Pretty much, you talk to people, and uh, people just get over. I mean, however it is for them, that's how it is. Which is, uh, you know, one way to go through life if we're all, if, if we're the whole game. But of course, we're not the whole game, you know. There's the Lord, and he's of a different sort than we. So, uh, you know, that was my first, you know, I try to get all the assumptions on the table. My first assumption is God's holy and we're not. And then last week, the oddness of uh, how we'll come into God's presence. And it starts with making a holy space. God will actually sort of chalk off the boundaries and say, if you meet me here, this is going to go very well. And I give you on the very back page, then, uh, what's uh, uh, sort of a ground, uh, a ground plan of the seminary, uh, of, the, of the tabernacle. <laughs> seminary, that's great. All right, there's a, there's a little bit of a floor plan. Now, you can see how well sort of developed this is. It's not, you know terribly big, the size of a football field. You know, the 50-yard line goes halfway down. On one side, uh, there is the altar of the burnt offering. That's what we're going to talk about today, where things get killed and burnt. On the other side, if you make an X, there is the Holy of Holies. That's where only uh, the high priest is allowed to go. But nobody else goes there. And there is uh, in, the, in, the, in the space, the notion of holiness, the closer you get to things, the more holy, holy they are. So holy space. 
And uh, today I want to talk then about what happens when you're inside the holy space. Now, <clears throat> I know that this is odd. At least it seems like it's odd, uh, odd on the face of it. It's, it's uh, one of the hardest things about new people when they come is you all seem, you know, you, you folks who have been here a while, I mean, you really seem like you're from another world. You know when to stand up, you know when to sit down, you know when to turn, you know what to say. People, you know, say things and you automatically say things back. It is as if, when, when new people come into that, it's just utterly confusing. You, you seem like you're, you're from another land. Uh, that is intentional. I mean, as hard as that is to say, that's intentional. And that's partly why in the new members class, it's just really one long explanation of what happens in the sanctuary. Because God is otherworldly, and he's bringing you to an otherworldly thing. If the normal things that you could get every day in your life could fix your life, you know, if the Monday through Friday stuff could fix your life, you'd be fixed. But you're not, nor am I. So this is an appeal to the outside. When you are in danger, it's good for you to know what to do. I started with the idea that God is holy, you're not. It's dangerous for him to be around. Part of what we do here in the church is to say, it's all going to be okay. Uh, we're we're, we're going to do it this way. The ritual that comes out of that, uh, I will admit, can sometimes go dead. But it need not. And I would also suggest to you that um, churches that have, that don't use the liturgy as we do, uh, nevertheless have a ritual. You do something. The oddest thing is when you have a bride and groom, for example, or uh, you have a funeral, big points in people's lives. But uh, people aren't given to ritual. And what, what happens is there's a lot of standing around and staring and kicking the dirt and wondering what to do next. See, the safest and best thing, the thing that will see you through, is to know exactly what to do. So the first thing I said there is that ritual engages the whole person. And there is a way, uh, in fact, the way that things are designed, that formality and uh, structure can be the best possible thing. So this wedding, I, I, I was at a wedding yesterday that I talked a little bit about in the sermon. I knew the bride and groom, but I didn't know any of the other. But you know, I realize how old I am when I'm looking at people who are all 20-something. We all show up in a place that's not my own. The wedding wasn't here. It was another congregation. They hosted us. And uh, you know, they, to me, are otherworldly. And so I did something I don't usually do, which is I ran the rehearsal. We normally have somebody who does that here. And it was the most amazing thing to try to show them, and these are basic things, how to walk, how to turn, when not to snicker, don't fall down the stairs, take out that part of you that's pierced, you know, things like that. Uh, you know, my only two rubrics for a wedding are, are be on time and be sober. That's pretty much all. I've reduced everything down to that. There's as much ritual as people can stand, you see. Uh, but I, I'll tell you, the other thing is, is they all, and, and yet it was the strangest thing yesterday. It was, the, it was at, at, at 21 minutes to the hour, nobody was there yet. And it was the strain, the, the, the transportation got a little, I mean, there was nobody there. It was just me by myself, 21 minutes before the wedding starts. 
and you're thinking, what's, what's happened here? They've all been raptured. It's very strange. <laughs> so, uh, and I'm left behind. That seems to me to be even stranger. Well, so, so, I mean, but it was interesting because then, you know, they appear, they're all scrubbed and polished, and it's perfect. I mean, they, and it was reverent, and it was glorious, and it was happy, and it was meaningful. And it was all that it could have been. And it was done that way because it was done with reverence and sincerity. Now, I'm not saying that all of life is like this, but I'm saying that life, when we come to holiness, is really another sort of life. And so we act and speak in another sort of way. Uh, I know that, and I've put this under the first bit, I know that this can be done poorly. And, I, and I've tried to always say to you, I can explain to you, you know, every move we make here, why we turn, why we speak, why we stand, why we sit. I mean, there's a reason for everything that we do. Or if there's not a reason, we'll tell you. But for most everything we do, there is, in fact, a reason. And the prophets take great pains to shoot people down in the Old Testament who don't know what they're doing or why they're doing it. Also, occasionally, and this happens a little more, Wheaton is, a, is a, at least a divided community in terms of you know, ritual and not ritual. Um, you'll often hear the stereotype that in the early church, in Jesus' day, uh, that worship was spontaneous and free. In houses, people kind of did what they wanted. This is actually not true. It's just not true. Uh, the truth is, and you can read it into Acts, is the, the Christians hung out in synagogue and temple and followed the ritual of the day, even the daily sacrifices, uh, understanding them to be fulfilled in Christ, until they got booted out. And as soon as they were able to, for example, build their own structures, and we have some that are extant from earlier than 100 AD, they did that. So the notion that um, Jesus somehow freed people for kind of free, spontaneous, do-whatever-you-want kind of worship, just, that just isn't true. Uh, Christians stayed in the synagogue, they stayed in the temple, and they stayed with the rituals that had been, get, been given to them, albeit with a new understanding, but they did, in fact, stay with it. So I guess here's my, 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 my apologetic. People need ritual. It's helpful. They have it whether they know it or not. It's not a question of whether you're going to have ritual or not. It's which one you're going to have. You're going to do something. The question is, does what you do reflect holiness? Okay, That's sort of the first bit. The second bit is it teaches. I mean, there's no cooler thing than when kids, you know, two, three years old, you know, they're, and, you know, it was loud at 9 o'clock. Were you here at 9 o'clock? Man, everybody's kids were awake. I mean, it, was, it, was, it was great. You should hear me. It was great. I mean, everybody, it was, there, was, there was motion going on. But you know what's kind of cool is when all those little voices suddenly pipe in at the point of the Lord's Prayer or the Creed or they learn to sing the Alleluia. So, I mean, the way you teach, if you want your kid to pitch, you know, you take him out and you have him throw 100 strikes every day. You know, that's what you do. If you want him to play golf, you take him over to the tee box and have him hit away. And if you want him to learn to pray, you bring him to church where he learns to pray according to the ritual that's been given. This is the third thing here, that ritual delivers, or even more strongly, I'll say ritual saves. And what I mean by that is going to the Holy Supper, the ritual of going to the Holy Supper saves you. The ritual of being baptized saves you. Now, you know, you know me well enough to know that uh, I'm not suggesting 
that uh, if we add salt and if we add oil and if we add candles and if we add white robes, all that's necessary to be saved. Of course, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, though, is there is a way that if you depart too far from what the Lord has given to do right here at this font, or if you depart too far from the ritual Christ has given to do at the altar, you frankly don't know anymore whether you have a baptism or a supper. So it's very important to tend the ritual. And in a way, you see, this is the ultimate erasure of me and of you. If a pastor who goes to the altar can't, you, you say to a pastor, why did you do that? Why did you do that? The only good answer is, because Christ asked me. That's the only good answer. Or it extols, it holds up, it professes, it confesses, it rejoices in what Christ has given me to do. So we come to a holy space and we do holy things. The holy things engage us, the holy things teach us, the holy things save us. And then the last thing there, frankly, to be part of this is to engage something you can't really explain. I mean, I just can't explain to you how Christ puts his body and blood into the chalice and on the patent. I can't explain it to you. I can give you some theories. I give some ways it could happen. But I can't tell you exactly what it is. I also can't explain to you all the good things that happen to you at the Holy Supper, for example. I mean, I can tell you that it binds you to Christ, so it binds you to the Trinity, it forgives your sins, it nourishes your soul, it strengthens your body, it binds us together as a community, it empowers you to go out and live a holy life. I mean, I can give you 14 things that the supper does for you, but I can't exhaust it. So partly to come here is to know that you're servant. And that's so important for us in, in what we do. So that what happens in ritual in a congregation is never a matter of personal preference. If it's a matter of personal preference, then we have to have, you know, 800 liturgies every week because I get just what I want and you get just what you want. No, what's most important is that we do the things the Lord has given us to do. We do them in a way that engages us, that teaches us, that prompts mystery in us. We do it in those ways. And then uh, we rely on the Spirit of God to do the balance. Now, uh, let me just say one more thing, Karen, and I'll come right to you. That doesn't mean there's only one way to do things. But it does mean, you see, I've begun to set some parameters for what we do do. They need to be reverent, needs to be uh, teaching, needs to be done with care. It's not a matter of personal preference. Uh, and it needs to be done regularly because it saves us. Karen, please.
That's a great question. Did you get, you got, kind of got all that? When you're on foreign territory, what do you do? And, <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and, and well, no, that, that's, I think you did a great job of saying it, which is, um, and where's the line when you've, you've capitulated and when you've sort of, you know, raised the flag for what you believe? Uh, you know, in different, different generations, we've answered that question differently. Um, you know, I've told you about my, uh, Kirby's Uncle Tom Spellacy, great Uncle Tom Spellacy and great Aunt Edna. They got married. He was Catholic. She was Lutheran. They get kicked out of both churches and the neighborhood. So there's a way to solve it, you know. And that was, you know, just South Chicago, you know, 80 years ago. So there, there are different ways to engage it. I think um, there's a way of being a good guest. And we bid people when they come here to be a good guest. Uh, we know that when people come here, for example, that not everybody agrees with everything we do, we nevertheless bid them to remember uh, that it's our house, if you will, and their guests, and it's best if they would um, respect us, even if they don't agree, and play by the rubrics of this congregation. When I go to another place, I do precisely the same thing. Uh, I try to be very respectful of the people I'm around. I try not to offend, and I always remember that I'm a guest in the place. I participate insofar as I'm able. That is, uh, you know, we don't say about the Catholics, they're all wrong. You know, nobody's ever said that uh, who, who was Lutheran and, and knew anything about history or theology. Uh, what you do is you participate insofar as you can do that faithfully and not cross the line, and where you can't, you simply sit still, respectfully. And if you can't do that, then don't go. Uh, that's part of being mature and tolerant in a world, but without selling your soul. And I know that over the years that question has been answered differently. I'm sort of giving you the answer that I've tried to work out for the year in which I live right now. Uh, can I be a little more specific? Of course you can. If I am if I'm at a Catholic funeral, for example, um, and they start praying for all those who have gone before us, I mean, in, in essence, praying for the dead, and the congregation is standing for that, is it okay for me to still be standing there even though I don't engage in that belief at all? I think you stand and be silent. The question is, is prayers for the dead, for example, if you're in a place where such a thing begins to happen. And we're sort of careful. I mean, this is another place where we've had a bit of a reaction. Um, you know, there is a way that we pray for the dead in that we rejoice, for example, on all saints and those who have gone ahead. There's a difference between rejoicing in them and uh, sort of giving them a little punch up out of purgatory. So you can do the former, but not the latter. And, you know, if you're caught standing during part of a... So it, to sit down is to, is, to, is to sort of put it in their face a bit. Uh, I think you just want to remain calm and uh, try to learn something. Listen to, to how it's nuanced. And the church is somewhat of a fluid thing as our prayer, so you're careful with that. It's, it's terribly important that we act that way. It's also terribly important. For example, the Holy Supper here, we bid people uh, not, to, not, to, not to come if, if they don't. Uh, know what's cooking. And the reason we do that is because we believe something actually happens and the supper can actually hurt you as well as help you. So people come, we ask them to come and sort of give us the universal, uh, I'm curious and could you do something good for me, but I'm not going to commune. And then at 9 o'clock we probably had, you know, we probably had, you know, 50 people who didn't commune and we had several adults who very kindly came, knelt, and, you know, made the sign of the cross over their heart and then what we ask is, are you baptized? And we ask that because the strongest thing, the strongest blessing you can give to someone is to bless them 
according to what the Lord has done. So if they've been baptized, we say, uh, the Lord preserve you in the holy name put to you when you were baptized, or something like that, amen. If they're not baptized, uh, we, we bless them quite differently. We say something like, uh, the Lord, by way of his Holy Spirit, open your heart and eyes to confess Christ and come to his gifts, amen. So you bless people specifically according to what's been, been done. We can do all that for people if they'll be respectful of what we're doing, uh, and that's most helpful. Uh, it, it seems to me to be the most mature uh, way to engage other, other people, even non-Christians. Okay? So just an, an initial defense for ritual. Because the Lord's going to give you a very uh, specific ritual in Leviticus 1. If you can open up a Bible and find that, it would be great. Now, you know, hardly anybody can find Leviticus, so there's no shame if you can't. Uh, you know, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus from the front of the Bible. So you're into your Bible about, uh, you know, five-eighths of an inch, okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. See if you can find it. And it's just, this is just strange stuff, I, I understand. Uh, just, just read along with me a little bit. The Lord calls to Moses, this is Leviticus 1.1, and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Now, I, I tried to remind you the past two weeks what a great big deal this is, because the Lord, you know, was on Mount Sinai, you know, far away from all the people, and now he's put himself right in the middle of the people which then, someday, if you build a new church, you'll need to think about where to put the altar. Where should that altar be? So the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. So now the Lord is there in the tent, and he calls to Moses, and here we go. Speak to the people of Israel. He loves them. Draw near. Say to them, when any of you brings an offering to the Lord, uh, bring an offering of cattle, from the herd or from the flock. So you're going to get either, and this is going to, you're going to get three things here. Now I'm going to parse this a little bit because you can get lost in what's going on here. But the basic thing that's going to happen is you're going to bring your best. Either your best uh, calf, you know, your best uh, goat or sheep, or if you're poor, your best bird. No discrimination. The Lord loves the poor too. Okay, and then what you do with it. And this sounds absolutely barbaric to you, I know, but uh, there is a point. This is verse 3. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, so now what are you, you going to do? You're going to take something and burn it. This is really important. You'll offer a male without blemish, which means you're going to bring your best thing. You don't... Uh, when I worked on a ranch a couple of summers, they used to have particular cattle that they would call McDonald's. You know, that's, that's a McDonald's cow. Because, you know, the, uh, the leg went the wrong way or it had two heads or four udders, which meant uh, there's no possibility of that cow going to Morton's. This is going to McDonald's, okay? It's going to be a hamburger, not a steak, okay? So what the Lord is looking for here is the one that was going to go to Morton's. This is very important. This is right off the bat. It's about discipline. And it's about holiness. And it's about, you know, the Lord says, I'm holy and you're not, but here, here, here's the terms of engagement. Here's a way that you can see me and live, and it starts with, bring your best stuff. And I just have to reflect on that. You just ask yourself about yourself, about the church. I'm, don't think of anybody else but yourself, okay? 
Because this is the family offering. If we were doing, what's happened here at the end of Exodus, there were a bunch of things about what you do for everybody. This, frankly, is private confession. This is what, what's going on right here. This is if, if you want to stay extra for a little extra credit. That's, this is actually what's happening. This happens later in the day. After all of Israel has come, if the Wendy's want to stay and bring an extra, uh, uh, if they want to bring an extra cow, the, the, the pastors will hang around. It'll be great. If any of you want to stay late today and write a big extra check, I'm willing to stay late. Okay? You have to see the analogies here. If you can't see the modern disease, so everything is application. Man, you're a tough crowd this morning. Okay, so. All right. So, uh, we've, done all the, we've done the morning sacrifice. Now, if you want to stick around, you bring yourself a male without blemish, and you bring it to the door of the tent. Now, you've got a map there. You can bring it to the door. And you can come. You see the door is at the top of the page. You can come in the door and you can go as far as the altar. But you can't go any farther. Okay? Why not? Because the Lord didn't ask you to go any farther. It's just, it's just the way it is. You know, why can't I do that? But why can't I go? Because I'm your father. That's the reason why. This is a long, long story history of this, okay? So you bring it to the door, the tent, that you may be accepted opposite of being destroyed by the Lord. And you lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering. So you're saying, this one's mine. This is for me and my family. Put it on the head. And it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Okay, now this is kind of, kind of interesting. Uh, atonement means... Uh, there's going to be a victim, and that victim is going to die in my place. This is serious stuff here. Well, this one's mine, and uh, the choices are I can die or this. The, these are your choices. You can die or your best cow can die. Your choice. Okay, that's, that's a choice. It can be you or your best cow. Well, your choice. That's what the Lord says. But you, you can't fox him. You, know, you can't bring your second best cow. That's breaking the rules. Um, then, this verse 5, he shall kill the bull before the Lord, big letters, L-O-R-D, the one that makes the covenant, and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall present the blood. See, now you kill it, and this is important to know. I can't remember what order I've written this down, but it's okay, and it's there later for you. You kill it by cutting the artery here and bleeding it out. There's a fascinating book. Uh, there was a guy, I remember a, a book I read called Confessions of a Knife, long ago, written by a surgeon. And then he wrote one lately. Uh, this, that was 20 years ago. He's written one late where, where he says, everybody dies uh, from lack of oxygen. Which is true. I mean, it's a fascinating story to read. about doc. Everybody dies because the blood stops going to your brain. I mean, in the, even for us, we know that life is in the blood. So you're taking the life out of this animal. Why? Well, we'll see. So Aaron and his sons present the blood, and they throw the blood round about against the altar. Okay, so you got that first altar there, and you splash it round about. And then he cuts up the burnt offering into pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar. It's actually kindle fire because the Lord has... Uh, there's a fire that always goes. So you kind of stoke the fire, not kindle it. You stoke it up, and you lay the wood in order on the fire, 
and Aaron's sons, the priests shall lay the pieces, the head, the fat, in order. You see how there's ritual to this? You cut it up, you wash it, you stack it, you stoke it, you put it on in order. There's nothing capricious about this. You know, part of the lesson is you don't just come bumbling in before God as if you're going to make up the rules and everything's going to be okay. It's not. I mean, the counterpart is a lot of people just bumble through their lives, making up the rules as if it's going to be okay. It's not. Why do therapists charge $180 an hour? Because it's not okay. Because you can't just bumble through your life as if nothing matters, as if there is no God. If you do, you know, you spend your whole life medicating yourself with drugs and alcohol, seeing your therapist. You know, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if you, if, 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 I mean, if you, if you, I mean, I refer people all the time and encourage them to go. But the primary issue is shame and guilt before God, and that needs to be dealt with. Here's a way to deal with it. Don't dodge. Okay? It's very orderly. So you put, the, put it on the wood, uh, put it on the fire. The entrails and the legs you wash with water, which are considered um, the dirtiest parts. Through your entrails, everything is moving in and out, right? And the legs in the Middle East, you know, it's dusty, it's dirty. You know, can you get it perfectly clean? That's not the point. The point is you're bringing your best. You're cleaning things up because you've moved into a holy space before a holy God where everything is to be made, and here's the punchline, clean, including you. And the priest shall burn the whole on the altar as a burnt offering, as an offering of fire, a pleasing odor to the Lord. Now, this is just the weirdest stuff. And you say to yourself, you know, what's going on? If you do, you can read the same thing. If you keep going in, in chapter 1, they say, you know, if you're not rich enough to have a cow, then bring a sheep. And if you're not rich enough to have a sheep, you can bring a bird. All three of those were animals that they kept, uh, you know, kept for food. So they were roundabout. They were edible, and they were considered clean animals. You know, what's the point of all this? Well, let me see if I can spin you through it. Because it just, I mean, this just sounds so strange to you. And it does to me on the first read. But look at point number two. You know, what's going on here? One is that the Lord is making the first move. So you're not left guessing. I'm going to give you the, it's, you know, the time always goes way faster than I, than I think it's going to go. Here's the point. The Lord makes the first move, and you need to understand, people of Israel, this ritual as a gift. The Lord tells you exactly what to do, and if you do it, here's the punchline, all is well. This is, this is the same thing that happens to you at, at church. You come to the font, uh, you get the water in the name, and we send you back, all is well. You hear... Uh, uh, you, 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 you confess your sins, you hear absolution, and the pastor says, all is well. You come to the supper, you receive the body and blood of Christ. Uh, the last thing the pastors, you know, uh, the body and blood preserve you to life everlasting. All is well. You're going to live forever, and it's going to be good. See, the point is not, the point is not that the Lord has got you jumping through hoops. The point is, the Lord wants you to understand how great the distance between what's holy and what's not. And he wants you to understand that he's closing the gap. And when he closes the gap, you can be sure it's closed. That's all that's happening. There's a big gap between holiness and sin. 
The Lord will close the gap in his own way, and when he closes it, all is well. I mean, this, this is precisely what we do here every Sunday. All we do is close the gap. Okay? So point two there. God's intent on serving people. He loves them to death. So if you're God and you're sitting around and saying, you know, look at this group we've got here, and how could it be, uh, the, how would they know? How would they know that I loved them? And he says, uh, we'll talk. And we'll do things together. And we'll do it twice a day. See, morning and evening, the Israelites would come and there would be a sacrifice. Ask yourself how your life would change. Ask yourself how your family life would change. How would your life change or how would your family life change if morning and evening you sat together with your family, read the scriptures and prayed? I bet there's not one person, I bet there's not one person in this room, including me, who can say that about our families. I bet there's not one person that can say, we get up in the morning, we gather our family, we read scripture, we pray. At night, we gather the family, we're all together, we read scripture and pray. I mean, that's what the Lord bids here. He says, you want to change your life? You want to close the gap? You want to know that everything is okay? How does your wife know it's okay? You talk to her. How does your husband know? You talk. The Lord says, you do things together. So the Lord says, morning and evening, I'll talk with you, we'll do things together. Isn't that great? You see, this is, there's, there's a method to this. It isn't just about, you know, sort of ancient people making things bleed and, act, you know, acting like barbarians. It is about how the Lord chooses to serve us and what he chooses to do. So, the Lord is intent on serving his people. The Lord is intent on speaking to people. The Lord is intent on giving his gifts to people. The Lord loves his people and wants to, to, to have them together in grace. I mean, that's the point here. Ah, uh, yeah, now what am I going to do? Go to, um, scooch over to point, uh, well, you know what, I shouldn't be skipping things. If I, you know, but here's the thing, my press always is, I want to do more, but then the later things won't make sense. So, point three, why do you do this? One, because cosmology, the world is broken. Two, anthropology, you're broken. And three, divinity, God's not. So, how do you close the gap? How do broken things make, made whole? Okay, flip over, point four. You can do these three kinds of offerings. Okay, and I've sort of given you uh, different things there. I just want to observe under point four, you know, about halfway down. This is stewardship of the best sort. That all things are recognized as gift. That proceeds with open hands. That work is managed. That wealth is passed on. Even burned up for the sake of the Lord. Here's the deal. What if I said to you, this is the rough equivalent of me saying to you, um, bring $100 bills and uh, we'll set them on fire. I mean, that's what's happening here. I mean, the currency was, by and large, stuff. It was, by and large, barter system. And who benefits? If you take, now, now, you have to understand, remember, this is not one where anybody eats or shares or does anything. There's no, the priests aren't taken off. 
uh, as they do in some of them, a, a cut that supports their families. The family isn't sitting down to eat. This one, in this case, your participation is this. You bring it, and the priest turns it into smoke. So I'm just asking you what sort of sense that makes to you. If I asked you, if I said, bring $100 bills, and then we stoke the fire, what would that do to you? How would you feel? Could you live with that? Could you say, well, um, it's the Lord's money. He can do with it what he wants. If he wants to burn it up in a pile, it's okay with me. Could you do that without thinking, oh, I've been, looking, I've been waiting for the new graphite shafts to come out, and if I just had that. And could you do it? You're thinking like, oh, my kid needs clothes. And then, see, could you do it? It's a fascinating. Could you do it if your life depended on it? And then you have to ask, do you really think that what's going on here, does your life depend on that? If you can agree with the first thing, I come right to you, Ramon. If you can agree with the first premise, that this is the difference between life and death, then everything else is relativized. Everything else doesn't matter. Everything else is going to be okay. Can you become so detached from your stuff, from your life, from what you have, that you can put it in a pile and burn it up if the Lord says, I'm always puzzled, pleased, and a little bit struck by the monks who do the sand art. Have you ever seen this? They work four or five days, 10 or 12 of them, and then the last day, what do they do? Have you ever seen this? It's gorgeous stuff. You ever seen it? What do they do? Last day, sweep it into a pile, toss it away. That's not too far off from this. It's a different reason. Uh, that's not too far. Ramona. Right. There's more than one kind of sacrifice. This is just one of the many, but it's the, interestingly the first one that they give, and it's actually the closest thing we have to this in the church right now is private confession. This would be, see, what comes before this and what will come after are, is the ritual for what happens together on a, on a Sabbath day. But this is the ritual for, just for me, if I want to know that I'm hooked up with the Lord, right? If I want to know that there's no distance between us, if I want to know that all is well with my family, and this is basically why people come to private confession. We have, we have confession, we have absolution, we say to everybody, you're forgiven. And then on Tuesday, somebody shows up in my office and says, I'm not sure I'm forgiven. We always go, that's weird, because on Sunday we said, you're forgiven. You say, yeah, it didn't stick. Say, okay, sit down. It's all going to be okay. You can hear it again. That's precisely what's happening here, right? So it does come from someplace else. Uh, read around a little bit. We'll come back to this. But here's your assignment. It's kind of in the last page. The assignment is, can you see Christ in this? That, that's going to be the part that's terribly important. If this is about closing the gap between God who's holy and you're not, and how the gap is closed. The ultimate gap closer is Christ. So you know, part of your deal is to see Christ in what happens here. Uh, have a go. I know this is a little bit weird, but if you give it a couple of weeks, uh, you'll get the hang of it and be the better for it. Uh, let's pray and let's go. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you so much.